0: Back, pulls for up for three. three. Boom! Knocks it Curry from the corner at three. Puts it in! For overtime, makes it go! And Curry! Welcome, from me, Mark to the latest edition of the MVP cast. Thanks for listening in. We are brought to you in association with Total Environmental Compliance. Check out their consultancy services for a whole range of environmental issues at tecompliance.co.uk. Now, I guess this time out is a former giant of the British game during his days as a fulcrum of the great Kingston side that took on pretty much everyone and came out on top since retiring. He's remained very much within basketball, but as a highly prominent agent, placing players and coaches all around the world through his company PTI Sports. Danny Davis, welcome to the MVP Cast.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me.
0: I'm sort of flipping a coin on what we start with: agency or playing. Let's let's talk agency. We're, we're, we're at this point in the year where you know, it's it's the giant transfer window within basketball, players moving, contracts ending, new contracts sought give people who don't understand this concept of what an agent does a flavor of your job what what the day-to-day minutiae particularly in the summer is
1: yeah i mean like now if naturally because of this is different times now with the coronavirus stuff growing up this will usually be our business time of the year it still is somewhat here getting the players resign uh during the summer months but yeah i mean the recruiting of players um is always a very fun thing to do um you know, actually, um, you know, going out and actually, you feel like you're recruiting like uh, players that played at university. You know, uh, to complete for university, you, you know, you basically want to try to get the best possible players, players you can, to be able to move them and and uh, place them with um, quality teams. And if you can do that, then you have to build up your reputation. Uh, but with the agency business, it's all about having. Uh, those connect with teams because once again, there's no need to have a big stable of players, right? If you can't place them somewhere, you know um, So yeah, I mean so this this time of the year now is um, as you like I mentioned I think on our conversation earlier was that I deal both basically in a Asian market right now dealing with China Korea and Japan is my, my big market, but in the past I always dealt with Europe and um, so so yeah, I mean it's uh, this this you know the summer months are a bit crazy in recruiting players and and doing those deals, uh, um, you know uh, especially here with the British League right now, which I don't do anything with right now, but I was quite busy with it back in the days when the Bosman Rule kicked in, mm-hmm. uh, with guys like Danny Lewis. Uh John McCord, Ted Berry, these are some old school guys, right? <laughs> Pledges. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but uh those guys, James Hamilton and so forth. Um uh, yeah. Uh, so that that helped me out tremendously with that Bosman rule and that gave those guys another avenue to go out um and, and then actually get really good good paying jobs because they did have that passport. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, like I said, yeah, very busy time of the year for me uh, right now. So,
0: with, with all, Those of us who have seen Jerry Maguire, I kind of appreciate this competitiveness <laughs> about signing players. And, you know, it's, you know it's, a, it's a dog-eat-dog market to get the right players. I mean, start from that side of the ball, if you like, what's your pitch to a player who is effectively a free agent, probably coming out of college, or maybe a young player that's in Europe that's starting to make a bit of money and needs an agent for the first time. How do you sell a player on your services against everyone else?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think I'm a little bit unique uh, because my name was, not to be patting myself on the back, but I had a pretty good name out there in a way as far as my playing days in Asia and also in Europe. Uh, So my pitch to players is something that I know the market. You know um I know the teams um the other thing was that I understood that especially when players is coming straight out of university, the importance for them to understand that um I could guide them through <laughs> the minefield of playing professional basketball in europe um and that transition from coming from university um to the professional to the professional league and, and, and letting them understand that this is not the NBA, okay. You're not going to be pampered. <laughs> you're in the university and you're not going to have all this all those special things that you get in the NBA. Basically, you come here in Europe to play or, or wherever to play outside of, of the US that uh, you pretty much, uh, you got to be you got to uh, look after yourself a little bit. So you need someone to kind of guide you through that. Uh, so a lot of my players basically came through um, recommendation. Players that actually um, recommended me to them. Uh, and so the Jim McGuire <laughs> scenario, there of uh, that wouldn't quite fit with me. I don't think my, <laughs> <laughs> to be firm guys, Mark, a lot of people used to ask me, Dan, I don't think you have the mentality to actually be, why would you, you just don't seem to be that type of, you know, I, I got to be sort of like a hustler guy out there like that. And I'm, saying I'm not, you know, but my, what I do break, what I did break to the table and also important is then get them to understand and their parents god knows your parents or players is to understand that i'm gonna look after your son or your daughter
0: how important is it because a lot of this is obviously a two-way relationship player club you in the middle of yes but you and i know the very high attrition rate you get from particularly americans coming out of college who don't make that first season a lot of the time it's not because of how they played it's because they're homesick, they don't like the environment, they don't like the country or whatever. Yeah, yep. how, how much do you spend, how much time do you spend on s- sussing that out, that evaluation process of, if I find you a job, I don't want you to let me down?
1: Yes, I mean, yes, it's very important. Um, and once again, I would say that I can base it off of my own experience and that's the uniqueness with me that, that I, I, like I said, I was a former affiliate and I had agents I played in countries like I mentioned, I always Belgium back in the day where you didn't have, um, you know, when I played, you didn't have videos and all that kind of PlayStations and all that kind of stuff where you can watch TV or take up your time. Because uh, as you know, as a player, uh, people got to understand this, you know, you practice maybe two and a half, three hours a day, right? Uh, sometimes you practice twice a day, depending on what the teams are. Uh but after that, the rest of the time is free time for you, right? So players you got a lot of opportunity for players to get, get into some um some hairy situations, right? You know. <laughs> so uh yeah, you have to really me I'm pretty much like on a weekly basis and talking to all the players. Uh just making sure that they um they're doing what they're supposed to do and when they get in a hairy situation now you have to <sighs> you pull some out of um well, you know. Sometimes you have to get some, some extra help to get them out of that, you know. <laughs> so <laughs> I don't want to give too much out there, spoke too much, but yeah, yeah. yeah. Was without,
0: without naming them any names, can you name your most extreme example of that you had to deal with in mm-hmm. that sphere?
1: Yeah, I can definitely. win. I tell you, there was a prominent player that played here in in the UK. I didn't, I'm not going to mention his name earlier, but um, was over in, I had him over in Russia, playing right, and all of a sudden I get this phone call late at night. It was like oh, hey, um, I got a bit of an issue here. I'm like, hey, what is your issue? And he said, uh, let me just show you. And when I saw the picture of his face, I'm like, wow. You know, um, his face was sliced, right? <laughs> 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 yeah, yeah, when you got in a bar fight, basically. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so with that being said, it's like, okay, how do, you know, uh, we got to get you medical help and all that kind of stuff. Because once again, it's a scenario, you know, unfortunately, for him. Um, um, we had to kind of keep it outside of the team. Now, I know they sounded like crazy, because when they see they, see his face, they be like, okay, something happened here, right? <laughs> so those are the kind of things you had to kind of maneuver him around to try to say, okay, get him understanding that uh, that uh, with the team, that uh, just so it won't affect his contract, he wouldn't lose his job, knowing that he was in a bar fight, which would make his contract invalid. So, uh, so yeah, stuff like that. Players can... Um, not making planes, not getting on the planes is another one. You know, guy can you can you imagine you having a job and you know, you, you know as a grown person as a grown, you know, that you if you got a flight at six o'clock in the morning, you need to be there at least by four o'clock, right? Or four or five in the morning, right? to, to try to catch the flight, not showing up at six o'clock when the flight's supposed to take off, you know? Uh those kind of things, you know. Um th- 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 those those but once again I have been lucky not going wood. That I haven't had come across any really crazy outreach. I know some stories out there, but I haven't come across any of that with the guys out there. But. I mean,
0: players obviously have different skill sets, and and yeah. these days with the advent of you know analytics and various sort of film databases, obviously coaches have a much better feel for players that they're scouting, aiming to recruit, etc. So, that, how much has that altered the way that? you would market it to player. Because in the past, some agents, couldn't have been you, of course, other less scrupulous agents, would just put together this great video, all the highlights, best dunks, best passes, send it to the team, there's the stats, and you know better, they signed the player, could have been a dud, maybe, you know, if they got lucky, it was a great player. How does that, that vast volume of information alter the way that if you have someone, you've signed them, you're looking for a club, change the way that the business works now?
1: I think what the scenario is, that I think teams actually got, got smarter, okay, I mean, that, and which affect the way we actually will push players. When I say they got smarter, it was that, you know, back in the day, it was a scenario of, okay, let's have a camp. Let's bring some players in. Uh, let's see a player that, like, you know, really, like, you might see a quick little highlight film over a guy, and they're like, oh, this guy is brilliant, um, and, and sign him. And then try to be a dud. Uh, because, like I always say, the most teams are, are to players, you know, when I get player, get information on players, videotapes, whatever, I need for games, right? Not not just a highlight game. Because, with all due respect, if you got a camp for one or two days, uh, you, you could look like LeBron James or Michael Jordan <laughs> out there, right? You know, and that's what some guys have done. But teams have gotten smarter now and things to be honest for me things are a lot easier now with um you know if a team called me up say damn we need a you know four or five or, or i say four or five a center or or a uh a swing and immediately i say i got this guy and having this link i can immediately send it to him right instantly, right now uh whereas in the past <laughs> I might had to get a VHS cut and try to get down to FedEx, and it might take them three or four days before they even get the the tape to, so they can watch the guy to sign. Whereas now I can turn around within minutes, you know. So technology has been a huge advantage for the agency and also for the for the teams in selecting the players, the marketing players. I mean, looking for players. Do you find that
0: I mean, from when you started, which you know, 20 years ago to to now? What what's the biggest shift in this? Because obviously, to you, lots of countries have varied the amount of Americans that they they might bring in. You've got mm. you know, Euro leagues kind of skewed the market a bit within Europe. Japan's changed the sort of shape of of its league, you know, a couple of times. You know, yeah, what's what's the biggest move in this business been?
1: I think you're right there, as for is the number of imports they allow to uh, on on per team. Uh, like for Japan, for instance. Um, in the previous years they went from having one import that you could play at noon time to two imports to but you could have three but you had to guess i mean not guess but you have to decide before the game which two registered two that you were going to play before the game and this year now they're going with three uh three imports but you can dress three but you can still only play two but you can interchange them uh so that was a big thing um here in in the UK and also in, in like places like Germany, where they just sort of allowed a lot more imports, I think it actually affected the development. of, and I always said it's it affected the development of the domestic players, right? When you're bringing all these imports in, I know that's a big argument with football too, right? Is that when you bring all these imports in, it kind of hurts the, it, it lessens the number of positions that's going to be available for domestic talent. So this domestic talent now all of a sudden you look have to go outside of, which is not a bad thing either. Go outside of that particular country. Uh, But, yeah, that has affected the game somewhat. Uh, But the biggest, to be honest, the biggest uh, changes that I have seen is positional, right? Uh, Which I say positional is like there's no traditional – center, which I, you know, I center or power forward, mm. right? That is the biggest change, I think, right there, because nowadays, for instance, I'm, I was just watching a game the other day, you know, they got the, I think it's the TPT that's going that's going on right now, where the ESPN is carrying that, right? The million dollar challenge. Mm. And I'm sitting there watching that, and all of a sudden, here's a guy six foot ten under the basket, to throw the ball to him, instead of him turning around dunk dunking the basketball, he takes it, throw it out for somebody to shoot a three-pointer. I'm like, okay, Back in the day, if I would have done that, my buddy Kevin Cato, who God bless him right now, is that he would have just went out on the court and probably he'd been in the head with a chair or something like that and heard him get you out of it. You just, wouldn't, you just don't do that. So that's the biggest change right now. It's come to a really more of a three-point type of thing. That has been the biggest change is, is, is the three-point shooting and basketball, which dictated that, that there's not a big need for that, that powerful center like back in the day you would need.
0: You'd have had to develop your outside shot if you were playing now
1: uh oh gosh yes yes uh yeah wait a minute to me i, I could shoot the ball a little bit
0: 50 <laughs> percent <laughs> for three yeah that, that's, that's a different level i mean do, uh, yeah. you, you talk about that that the, the, that shift and you know different leagues obviously have different styles as well and you only you know, mm. so it's not just in, even individual coaches obviously that, that play differently when you're looking at At players and clubs and you know you might have an interest from you know a club for a player how much do you do you find yourself talking to player about you know the expectation levels and not so much in terms of performance or stats or whatever but about what the situation might be like because you know again you've seen it when you were playing some coaches were let's say quite stern and quite aggressive others are more relaxed etc is that part of the package to make sure that your player knows exactly what they're getting into off and on the court.
1: Yes. No, that's true. I I think that's, that is the, right now, uh, in this day and time, you have so many players that's equal to talent, right? You got a lot of, you got a big talent pool of players out there. You got a lot of guys that's put in the right situation. You you put it with, you got a lot of players that what's going to what's going to make the difference between one player to the next. And it's nowadays it's that personality. A lot of teams look at that for, instance, I got to go back to Japan. Uh, uh, Japan, as up to three years ago, you know, basically driven by team. I mean, by companies, right? Mm-hmm. Your Toshiba, your Mitsubishi, your Toyota, your Panasonic. These big electronic and, and car companies own those teams, so it's all about their reputation. Reputation, right? They can't have a player to come in, although he may be a great player or whatnot, but then he goes out to a nightclub or whatnot and get in a big fight or whatever the case would be, and and that damaged the image of their company. So they look for players that's not only good, talented players, but also good. Yeah, hate to use the term of good people, uh, but basically, I, the best term I use is being a professional, right, on and off the court, the way they handle yourself. So, so for me to speak to when I take on players, I have that dialogue with them and constantly drill them with that, especially young players, where they need to understand that, you know, if you're gonna stay in this game or, or you're gonna make yourself a career out of this. Not only, it's, it's a lot. It's a lot more involved than just average of the twenty and ten a game. What is? And, the, what is
0: generally the, the biggest pitfall that, or biggest, I suppose, pothole that players fall into? Girls. <laughs> that <laughs> simple.
1: Yeah, I mean, girls. I, mean, I, I hate to put it that way, but that—that is. A, well, I say girls. Okay, I was kind of joking about that a little bit, uh, but uh, somewhat a little bit. But uh, but yeah, I mean, I think. Especially the U, um, with American guys that come over to play in Europe um, when they come over, and all of a sudden, this the, the whole nightlife is different, right? Uh, all of a sudden, you remember, you remember you got a lot of guys that you come from the university level. You haven't made it to the NBA, or you made it to the G League, or something like that. All of a sudden, you're going coming from a situation where you didn't at the university, where you didn't have that steady income. This is your this is the job, right? Now all of a sudden, you got a nice the income that's coming in. You know, you got some exposure, you got expendable cash that you can go out there and throw around a little bit. So you can go out there and enjoy yourself. And uh, yeah, players get caught up in that a little bit uh, in the nightlife. And before you know it, I, this happens a lot. Uh, they can enjoy themselves too much. And when it comes to the end of the season, they're like, oh man, I can't wait to get back. Well, I'm sorry, uh, team won't have you back because you were too much of an issue uh, off the court for them. Yeah, you put up good numbers, but you were just too much of an issue off the court. And that's usually the case because they want to hang out and all that kind of stuff.
0: And presumably, on the other side of that deal, you must have players turned down deals because of that situation where you know relationships or where they were the year before or something like that.
1: Oh yeah, all the time. Um, yeah, you know. Once I again, I, you know, I can go back to my own. Stuff. Like I said, I after playing in East Belgium, I played for uh, I played for a, the former Yugoslavian coach, right? Um, you know, and and. I never experienced a scenario where, you know, you practicing a whole day without a basketball All you're doing is running around with a sandbag on your shoulder to keep you. I'm like, this ain't this ain't basketball, you know. But when you look at that now, you find when I was coming up, you were, you would hear a lot about, hey, some of the European coaches I'm not playing for, man. Or these guys are crazy, you know, <laughs> <laughs> you know, they. you know, I'm just I don't want to go through that. You know, I'm not running really track and field. I'm, I'm playing basketball. Uh, so, yeah, you do come across a lot of uh, players. Uh, I mean, I come across a lot of co- coaches that I know I can't play certain players with because they don't have that that work ethic. Let me give you another perfect example. Uh, there was a guy buddy, who I represented. He just finished, just retired this past year in, in Japan. He played there for 19 years. His name was J.R. Henderson. He was on the uh, NCAA championship team with. Um, Oh gosh, I forgot the guy's name. Was two twins. Now, well, they'll come to me in a minute. The O'Bannons. Yes yes, 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 Ed and Charles. Yes, well, I used to represent Charles O'Bannon. Mm. Right. Well, that scenario with him, he, Jerry Henderson, was the better talent between those three when he got drafted by the um, Washington Bullets at the time, and then went to Vancouver when Vancouver had a team in Canada. Uh, but his father called me up and and said he went to Villabon. You know, uh, he went and played for for one year. And his father called him up by the blue and said, Danny, can you help him out? He said, because, you know, the guy's just too lazy. You know, that's why, you know, he don't want to practice. Unbelievable talent. One of the best talents I've ever seen. Uh, you know, but once again, he, in he, you know, the NBA actually called him back. Uh, Vancouver wanted to bring him back and then, uh, not Vancouver, I'm sorry, actually, um, Seattle, Seattle SuperSonics wanted to pull him in. He didn't want to go. Um. He didn't want to do the practice. He goes in Japan to have a great life, you know. Because once again, he feel they want the practice him twice once a day <laughs> suited him perfect, you know. So you, you try to fit. You got to try to fit the player with the team and the market that you think that they can, they can really do well in and, and have a long term career on, you know. So yeah,
0: how tough sometimes it can can it be to, I, I guess trying to nudge a player gently and i'm being kind there towards a deal that you think this is absolutely the best thing for you this would change your career change your life with money or whatever the situation and then you get that player for reasons you can't possibly understand going no
1: uh yeah yeah that's um that's happened um (laughs) yeah quite there was a player here i'd like to mention guys for the uk since we're calling the uk guy but john mccord on the film know if you remember john mm, mccord or not. yes yeah, Phenomenal
0: well, to all his friends
1: yeah <laughs> but john like i love john I mean, him and i we you know we talk about every couple of months or so still now and, and uh one thing about john was that when john got his uh passport you got his uk passport right uh we had you know, remember chris finch yes chris, yeah, well, chris finch he was seems coaching to the have made league.
0: something of himself since leaving here
1: yeah, he did okay. Him and mm. him and Nick Nurse they did a little bit. Mm. They did all right. <laughs> you know? But uh but yeah, but Chris Finch was coaching a team in, in Belgium at the time and he wanted John. And I just a funny story on that one was that uh, John had agreed to um, I actually was on a flight to go to Chicago at the time when we pretty much comp- nearly completed the deal with um, with Chris. I landed Chicago I landed in Chicago then Strasbourg. Um called me up when I got there and it was like, hey, we won it. And I'm like, oh my goodness. <laughs> you know, you know, and I know Finchy, right? You know, like, you know, but but I knew the better deal was with Strasburg. I knew that was a better deal for him. Right? So but John was and John knew that was a better deal for him too. But John was so gun ho on wanting to be with uh go because he knew Chris Finch would go to Belgium. And it took a lot of conversation to get him to change his mind to To go to uh, go to Strasburg, it turned out to be the better deal for him. Uh, whereas, whereas, um, and I bring that one up because on the flip side of it, I had a guy, Ted Barry, just did just the opposite, you know, <laughs> just the opposite. Uh, you know, I had him a great opportunity in Poland. He just didn't want to go, and you know, he ended up playing pro B in France for a few years. You know, so so yeah, so that does that does happen quite a bit. Uh, you try to push players to. You know, not because of the finance. And that's a misconception a lot of t- I mean, And I'm not just saying all agents out there. I'm sure agents got some bad names too. Don't get me wrong. And all agents push them, push them for the wrong reason for the finance purposes of it for themselves. But uh, and I think once you do that as an agent, your reputation goes on. The players eventually will catch on. Uh, but, you know, you try to push them for longevity for them, those, try to push them to those teams. Uh, that you think that would be best for them, but a lot, like I say, sometimes they just don't, they just don't want to know. Whether it's a girlfriend, usually <laughs> most of the time it's a girlfriend they met in that country. They don't want to leave, or they just got comfortable with it. And on the other side of that deal with with clubs, what's what's
0: the most common nightmare when you're negotiating, contracting, chatting with with teams?
1: Well, it's just been un- well, especially in Europe. Um, and dealing with teams in Europe is just coming through with what you promise that you're going to come through with, right? So when you when I go talk to a team, if I'm going to move a player from one country to another, uh, or one team to another, you sit down and talk with those teams, try to get a feel for and try to get an understanding uh, where where they are not only financially, but that's a big thing for Europe, European teams, where most, the majority of the things here is based on a sponsorship, right? Uh, try to get understanding of that so and when you place a player there you push a player to go there that what he signed for he's going to get uh, and that's that's always been the biggest headache for imports coming to Europe is you know you, you just don't know because a lot of teams base their sometimes on their budget on their positioning within the league at the end of the season or how much they would get from particular sponsors and if you don't hit that then they some teams make those promises that they cannot meet and then you got problems okay so you got to do your analysis of teams uh, when you go and talk to them, get an understanding of where they are, not only financially, I mean, not only just uh, what the position they want to play this player and how they're going to use that player, but also what their financial state is and how, to, how stable that particular club is. Uh, so you have to do your due do your diligence, diligence in actually doing the correct analysis of them before and make sure that you place the player in the right spot. I mean, you're still, you're still, living, sir. You're
0: still you still live in sorry you still you you left here and then come back and this this is home now but i mean you, back in the heyday if we can call it the bbl you were representing quite a few of those all-star names why aren't you agenting players if i can use that as a verb in this country anymore
1: be perfect honest it's just a numbers game. It's finance. I mean, put, I look, put it this way here. I could place I could place 10 players. For what I could make on one player in Japan, I, it, it, I would have to place 10 over here, okay? <laughs> <laughs> so it come, don't get me wrong. I love the English. I mean, I, sorry, I love the English League. This, the English League itself has provided me a nice little platform, right? To kind of, you know, I had some great times here, you know, in um, playing my playing days. Uh, And also from the agency point. I mean, I did have, you know, like I said, I dealt with some really good teams, really good coaches, really good GMs, you know, uh, people who I knew. um, And that was fun. You know, it was fun. Um, You know, uh, but yeah, it just came, for me, it's just simple that it just, it was just a number game. It just wasn't financial viable to, to continue. And also, like, once again, because my angle is I'm personable with the, I talk to my players all the time, I'm hands on, right? And when you take on a big stable of players, you can't be hands-on with everybody, right? So when you, like here, this is in my back door, so I can, <laughs> you know, so if I got a big stable of players here in the UK and I'm to talk to you guys on a daily basis, I could be up 24 hours a day. You know, <laughs> you know I could be going to Plymouth one week and then Newcastle another week and then, you know, all over the place. And so it just, yeah, yeah, just like now I'm like, nah, nah, this is... No, I, I don't don't get me wrong i do rec- still recommend uh players to certain certain teams if they' helping I do once in a while get some you know get a call in from some coaches um like you know like Vince and Paul James you all know, guys who I've known that, because some coaches and players who I've known in the past is actually still involved in this. And if I have anyone or I have I know a player that may be able to help them then I still push them that way for more i mean with
0: with this summer I mean it's we're in a very strange times in all, all spheres of life How... How you, has that altered? I mean, apart from the obvious, we can't get on planes, a lot of leagues, we don't know when they're going to start, etc. But how do you think that will shift fundamentally the economics of that player market over the next year, two years, perhaps even longer?
1: I, I think it's already started and they shifted a little bit as far as, I, I guess it's not being it's what the players can earn because teams are going to struggle. Like so I said, some teams who really rely on um, the, the fan base, right? Um, and if you have, we don't know which, which way it's going to go right now to start a new season, right? We don't know if there are going to be fans available or not, but teams can't factor that amount, that revenue in, can they? If you don't know how many, uh, uh, how many fans you're going to have to be coming through the door. Uh, so with that being said, I'm sure that's going to affect the, the exposure of being able to have a good solid sponsor or continue to keep a good solid sponsor. So therefore, you, your budget may Dwindle a little bit, and it's already started affecting countries like Turkey and, and Spain and so forth, where a lot of some of the players, some of the teams have reduced their budget already to as as much as forty percent so <clears throat> so what players thought they could possibly get, they're not going to be able to get that, that, that number is not out there anymore for them. Germany's another league you know uh that the that the their team's budget is kind of going down a little bit so now what players are doing looking okay wh- what market out there or what country out there where you know it looks pretty stable. And for me, that's been great because, it's, you know, it's Japan. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and right now, if you speak to the number of agents, they will probably say to you, Japan is probably number two out there in the world right now as far as a good place for players that's outside of the G League and the NBA to play.
0: I mean, you mentioned the G League. I mean, some of the players that you have are in that bracket that they could stay at home. They could have the shot maybe at the NBA. They play in the G League, not for a huge amount of money. Or they go overseas, could build a very big career. When you're, when you're talking guys who have that choice, what's the what's the flip for you in terms of which route they take?
1: Well, I think, for instance, like um, I had a recent player who was a former, who uh, was the fifth, fifth pick in the draft, a guy by the name of Daniel Orton, right out of the University of Kentucky. Uh, he was drafted, I think, by Oklahoma. And uh, he, he was going through that dilemma of actually. You know, when he got he got released from from the team and he would thinking about going to the G League um scenario to seek to get a, catch on to another team, right? Uh but it's a scenario once again you look at people the players' finance, okay? Uh and sometimes players financially may want to may want to, uh, they need the finance. So they need the finance. You can't afford to go to the G League, right? <laughs> so, you know, nowadays you can because the G League structure have changed. You know? But, you know, a couple of years ago, no, that wasn't the case. So guys go overseas to play. So to be honest, it's an easy sale. You know, to be perfectly honest. Uh, if players need the money, then they're going to they're gonna jump on a European contract. They're not going to, you know, if they can get one, they're going to go. But a lot of guys want to get in the G League, not only just for the NBA, but also get that exposure uh, for some good European teams to be able to see them play. You were once an NBA draftee,
0: back about mm. many moons ago, and, this, and back in the days, and some mm. you might be listening to this and think, two rounds of the draft, there you go, that that's mm. that's the player-based job done. Mm. You were 139th pick mm. in mm. the draft, so seventh round coming out of, of Wilmington by the Dallas
1: yep. Mavericks.
0: yep. Take me back to draft night, or, or indeed, was it even a draft
1: night, or was it a draft weekend? No, I will tell you the funny thing about that. And it is interesting that you mentioned that. We we, we joke about. It. I'm, my buddy Steve Bontraig, I don't know if you remember. remember quite, I hope those of the listeners probably would remember Steve. Uh, and you know, and Steve and I jokes joke that I can't believe see, I did couldn't believe I didn't get drafted. You see, a horse got drafted before me. You know? <laughs> because <laughs> literally that's what they was doing you know you had like 10 rounds and then all of a sudden you know get to the 10th round the last pick of the 10th round sometimes they're like oh well this you know whatever uh, but yeah for me back then and, and with that saying it's only two rounds now but believe me it's a lot more involved than just two rounds of ball players right because uh, you got the free agencies all that stuff that carries on now but for me draft night for me was it was, it was an interesting one right because at the time I got injured my senior year I had a stressful fracturing my foot so i ended up playing my senior year based on, on, on one leg in a sense you know which uh, was interesting so i didn't think i was gonna get drafted to be perfectly honest with you actually i had moved i had moved to washington dc and um I, I was just the night of the draft um i actually was out in the day of the draft i actually was just out in the playground just shooting around with the playground in the park shooting around and when I got back to the house, um, I saw some of the draft a little bit the first couple of rounds. Mark Aguirre, Jay, it was Mark Aguirre and Ronaldo Blackman and all those guys. Because oh, you remember Dallas Mavericks had the first pick in each round back, back then because they was still sort of an expansion uh, team, right? And... Um, yeah, I know. One of my a colleague, my one of my competitors got by the name of Larry Spriggs. Larry Sprigs. I don't know if you remember him or not. He played for the Lakers for a little bit. He played in Turkey. Uh, but Larry got drafted. And when I saw Larry got drafted, I'm like, hang on a minute. I used to kill this dude. Come on now. <laughs> you know? and, and, and I just couldn't believe it. And so I got a little depressed, to be honest. I'm like, I went from not even thinking I would get drafted, like why didn't I get drafted, you know? And then, um, yeah, at 12 o'clock that night, I get a phone call from the newspaper, Washington Star newspaper. The, uh, me just said to me, he said, we just want your input. Congratulations. I'm like, my input? Congratulations? What, what the hell are you talking about? And he just goes uh, Chuck says to me, well, that, didn't you get the Get the, 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 the telegram? Because back then they sent you telegrams, right? <laughs> he said, did you get the telegram? I said, no, what telegram? He said, hey, you, you were drafted by the Dallas Mavericks." I'm like, what? And as soon as I hung the phone down, the phone just kept ringing back and forth, back and forth. Some kind of it felt like some, he someone managed to contact. Then all of a sudden I started getting all these telephone calls. It was it was, it was a fun night. Didn't know they was going to get drafted. And then after that was over, then you say, okay. Okay. Um, the joy of being drafted. Now I got to get ready for camp, <laughs> you know. So uh so yeah, I mean, actually I was the last last cut. Maybe he hear that stuff again, but I was the last cut from Dallas Mavericks and my scenario for me was that they was Dick Marta, who who's the head coach at the time said that they they was going to sign me. They did sign me to a two-year deal uh at the time and I um a guy by the name of Jim Spannarkle. They was trying. I don't know if you heard that name before. Mm-hmm. Played the University of Duke. Jim, where uh, they was trying to trade him to the Utah Jazz, which would open up a spot for me. And the last day of the cut, when you had to reduce the number down to the number of players that you can carry for the year, carry for the season, uh, the 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 trade fell through. Uh, so they came to me and said, and I just. Cried like behind us on the phone. Yeah, I cried like a baby. Because I thought I was in. <laughs> you know? But uh, but yeah. And then they instead of playing in the CBA, which would be the equivalent of G League right now, uh, they cause they was paying my salary. I had like I had a two year deal with them. Um, yeah, they um, asked me what I considered playing for athletes action, which was, you know, it was a Christian basketball team, which I, which I did. Yeah. So yeah.
0: I mean, it's a team that a lot of players ended up coming to Europe for because, in some ways, it's a showcase team. And you, you came over here hmm. without the job per se. And yeah. how did that? How did that open the door for you to to end up with a European career?
1: Yeah, I mean. You, you, you're right. I'm mean, athletes and actuals. When I joined it, um, my mother loved it because she's a strong Christian, right? So it's, now all of a sudden I'm playing for a Christian basketball team. And, you know, I'm sure I'll, I'll be perfectly honest, and there was a lot of non Christian things that was going on too. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but yeah, when I came over here, we played at WICB at Crystal Palace. Um, and i tell you another funny story about that. Actually, that was the second stop. Our first stop was actually in, in Holland. Uh, We went over there to play, And and Danny Palmer, I don't know if you remember Danny Palmer but Danny Palmer had a team over with Steve Bucknell when Steve was really young. Steve Bucknell and quite a few other guys that went on to have really good careers. And I'm like, and 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 we sit up and stand watching. I'm like, man, this is some joke basketball here. This is funny, you know? (laughs) You know, because they're playing on a court that's green. It was a green basketball court. I'm like, this is weird. (laughs) And uh, yeah, I got to speaking to him uh, after the. after their game, and we totally we were playing at WICB. And when we came over and played, and he played here at uh, uh, Crystal Palace, uh, Mac, i say I'm a guy, a gentleman by the name Malcolm Chamberlain approached Steve Bontrager about playing for Kingston after the season was finished. And uh, yeah, we got back, and his Steve called contact me, just said, Hey, Dad, look, they offered me the coaching job at uh, co- player coaching job at, at this team called Kingston in England. Uh, man, gosh, would you and they like you, would you consider going with me? And I'm like, No. <laughs> <laughs> no they talk funny over there. No, I ain't going over there. <laughs> you know. But uh I did. And it turned out to be a good decision for me. Yeah. Steve, Chris, you and
0: Steve, I mean, you guys were linked almost at the hip everywhere you went. I believe Steve's yeah. also an agent as well now. Is that,
1: is that no, 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 no. No, Steve wasn't. Steve, actually, when he retired from basketball, when, when, when he retired from playing, he was became a, a coach in the CBA. Uh, uh, he went back and coached in the CBA in Iowa. And, um, and actually, Steve and I keep in touch. We, I actually went to see him uh, a few years ago. Um, unfortunately, Steve was dealing with some, dealing with cancer at the time. And things wasn't looking so good, but thank goodness he's in remission now. And he's, and he's, you know, we touch bases, and him and myself and Andy and Neil, I don't know if you remember Andy mm-hmm. and Neil or not. And we keep in touch quite a bit. Yeah, but he's he's doing good now. But uh, but yeah, yeah, we still keep in touch quite a bit. What
0: was the game like in this country? Because it wasn't we didn't have the BBL. That was the NBL, was the English League at that point. And you yeah. you come in there, and you know, you arrive in out of college eighty one, end up here. And you know, you're playing for Kingston. I mean, let, let, I mean you, the years are there were resplendent with success. You know, the 1986 playoff final you when know, Kingston beat the Bullets at, you know, at Wembley, and you were the MVP of the Cup final, and they beat Solent at you know, the Albert Hall. And you, know, Man United were, were Manchester United were in the league title winners that year. So it was it was a lot of growth in in the, in the British game at that point. What yeah. was it like? And, you know, give us a flavour of. How big or how professional or how exciting a time it was
1: then? Oh, it it was fun. It it was a lot of fun. Because like you say, it was a lot lot more coverage. Um, It seemed to me back then it is more so than what it is today. Uh, But not that a lot of it had to do with sponsorship too. I mean, because back then I think it was the Carlsberg League Mm -hmm. and the Budweiser League and all that. So he has a pretty prominent name sponsors out there too. And also the major newspaper was carrying it. Um, you know, you had that regular spot on, Was it? Channel four, I can't, I nights. yeah, Monday night you had a regular spot for it. Uh, so another thing is too, you had names and when I say you have names, you had the league had, um, you had your Steve Bontragers, your Colin Irish, your Alan Cunningham, you know, your Paul Stimson, you know, um, these guys, when I say names, people recognize those names. You know, uh, now I'm not like No disrespect to, to to the BBL as it is right now, but if you ask me, hey, who's one of some of the top players of you? I couldn't be perfectly honest. With you. I don't know. I, you, I'm just I'm just being honest, and I think maybe that has to do more so uh players constantly changing. If you know what I mean, uh, you know the in and out of it. Where we pretty much look out. I mean, I was at Kingston. I pretty much stayed at Kingston, right? Uh, and most teams player, you could, you know, your fan base could, you know, could get behind your player. And you had that, that stardom, I guess that's the way to put it, of uh, out there, and, you know, where the media could push, it hey, was well, somewhere they could get behind you, Steve, like I said, your Steve Bontrager could drop a 40 on you in, in a crucial game or whatnot. And it's televised and so forth. You had to, Footballers coming to watch in the game, Glenn Hodles and so forth would come and watch those games and stuff, so forth. So yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun back then. Um, a lot of fun. That's the best way to put it. You know, it really was, was. It, was it an
0: ideal place to be as a young, footless and fancy free
1: chap? Oh, uh, yes. Oh, God, yes. Yeah. <laughs> it was it was like, you know, it's funny, we joke, we, Alan Cunningham and I, you know, we still keep in touch in Carmel and those guys, we still keep in touch quite a bit there, Ronaldo Lawrence. Uh, and we got to talk about Wembley, you know. Back in the day, you know, Wembley was a great experience, a great time the end of the season, right? You know, you had the playoffs there and you had, like, the juniors would play and you had the women's teams will play and then you have the men's would be on, you know, the final day to play that. You know, in some cases, you didn't really want to make the finals because you, you know it was going to be a big party the night before the finals. <laughs> you, know? so you wouldn't be able to hang out there. So you do not want to go to bed at 11 o'clock. You want to stay up and party all night, right? You know, but it was. It was. I mean, it seemed like all the basketball world came in to present Wembley, you know, and that was a lot of fun. And I just don't know if that could be the case now, but I haven't heard that was the case now that it seemed like they have that type of format where you have everyone in basketball in one place at the same time for a weekend and just celebrating that season, that, that was a lot of fun.
0: Yeah, they, they were good Saturday nights. From yeah, the, the few that I attended they before like, the end of that.
1: Yeah, you're right about that. We probably lost a couple. I think we might have lost our first year to Manchester because that Saturday night before. <laughs>
0: you <laughs> mentioned it earlier, Kevin Cadle, and it's uh, badly yeah. missed. And yeah, I know he was best man at, at your wedding as well. What yeah. What was he like? To play for, because of the coaches that we've seen him for the years, he he was incredibly demanding. He was a he was a pain in the
1: head. He was a pain in the rear. <laughs> That's what it was. <laughs> Love him to death though. When um yeah uh miss him daily. I'm being honest when I say that. Uh, but yeah, he was a, a great great guy to play for. A great guy to hang on, to hang with after the game. Um, yeah, I, I give you I, I give you a story about it real quick that. We were playing Liverpool, uh, Barrel Liverpool, right, in the European Cup con- or, uh, qualifying game. I think it was called the Kairos Cup at the time, right? And um, they had a, they had a um, pretty good American, <laughs> okay, playing with them at the time. And it was a two legged scenario, right? So we had the first leg at our place at Work and we planned the game. During the game, and we had a pre-game you know, pre-game kind of our strategy talking one night. He's kind of telling me to play what he does. In there. And Kevin, oh, then he can't shoot, lag behind him. You know, let him shoot, let him shoot, let him shoot, right? Okay, we we'll get out there. We start the game. I let the guy shoot. He hits the first one. it's okay. Run back down, come back, hits another one. It's okay. He comes back down again, he hits another one. I'm like, yeah, some this guy couldn't shoot. Kevin calls time. He, no, all of a sudden, Kevin pulls me out of the game. I'm sitting down on the bench. Kevin walks by, like, those who know Kevin, Kevin know what I'm talking about. He'll walk by, look down at you, then walks by again. I'm like, yo, man, when I'm going to get back in the game? And he goes, when are you going to play some defense? I'm like, you told me the guy couldn't shoot, right? I let the guy shoot, and he just lit into me on the bench, you know? And I'm like, you got to be kidding me, you know? And I'm like, he just lit me up, like, you ain't playing defense, you ain't doing this, you know, that, and all. It's okay. For him. We end up, we end up, at the end of the game, I'm like, I'm really Ticked off at the time, right? This is the typical Kevin move. Um, as I'm getting dressed off in the locker room and walking out the back door, Kevin, yo D, come run up to me. Yo, man, we going, we going to the pub. <laughs> <laughs> was that kind of the beauty of
0: Kevin that he had those two very separated sides to him? Because I, I was, I worked with him in television, and I, you know, mm. I, I, I saw the very, very fun side, and I saw this sort of very serious professional side of him. But he, he was able to. To distinguish between when it was time to work and when it was time to play.
1: Yeah, yeah, and then, you know, I mentioned to you on an in initial call when we was talking earlier about um, in in Scotland when we played for the for the Rangers, right? And it was in Falkirk, which I said probably for as a player, my playing time as far as just the camaraderie between the players, that probably was one of the most most enjoyable time because it was just us. When I say it was just us, we I'm literally was in Falkirk, you know. Uh, although we was a Ranger, we were based in Falkirk, but it was just that, so we had to depend a lot on our, you know, within the, the, my teammates, with the teammates and Kevin. And yeah, you're right, Kevin was, when we stepped on the court, it was all business. You know, it was all business. Um, you know, another quick story with that one was, we have a practice. Um, Kevin, I don't know, we, the night before, we won, but he wasn't too happy about it, so we had a practice, and. And Kevin had us doing suicides, right? He was just running, running, running. We started complaining about it. Alan couldn't help. Alan and I was looking at him and said, man, what's wrong with this dude? Kevin lost his mind. And he said, run. He said, I'm not tired. You guys keep running. my like, wait, of course you ain't tired. You ain't running. You know? <laughs> we're doing the running. And then after, you know, then finally we stopped. And we all, you know, we just dead tired. I said, you know what? I'm going to, to do it, Kevin no more. Kevin lost his mind, right? And all of a sudden it's like Kevin comes up come to the locker room, yo fellas, man, come on man, we got we, we gotta get to the club. <laughs> I'm like <laughs> was too much, you know. But that was just, just Kevin. We Yeah, yeah. I, I, I true like I said, I, I miss him daily. You know, it, that that's that's my guy. We we, you know, before he passed away, we used to get together every Thursday for lunch. Well tried to get together every Thursday for lunch up in town as much as possible. But um, yeah,
0: yeah. How much does it
1: surprise you in a way
0: that that Kingston team, because of its European successes and also the consistency they had, is is still the benchmark. Here we are, you know, 30 plus years later that the game here in this country, you know, at the time you were playing, everyone Hmm. thought this was going to be the next big thing and Kingston were the benchmark, but yet they remain the benchmark. And that was that was the league at its probably at its peak.
1: You know, I, I'm not surprised. because They had good management at the time. I mean, you had a, a, a gentleman named Alan Kingston, uh, who was responsible for pulling the team for bringing the team back from from the Rangers uh, from Glasgow back to Kingston. Um, did a really good job in not only marketing but also giving Kelvin and uh, I forgot who the general manager general manager name was at the time. Uh, gave them the tools and the the lead way to put together a team, and 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 put together a team that sustained. I mean, they brought in the, you know like, uh, Alton Bird and you know Alan Cunningham and all these guys and Michael Blunt who replaced me when I went to uh, when I went off to Japan to play. Uh, so yeah, I mean they did a really good job and and Kevin did a really a great job in in maintaining that bringing bringing in the personnel that he needed to. Continue to build and, and the dream was to continue to do in to, to play. Yeah, We could win domestically, right? But it was basically to be able to, w- to win in Europe also. And they put together a team that could do that and sustain that. Yeah, so I, 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 my hat will go off to Alan Kingston and those guys who gave Kevin and those guys the tools and the flexibility to be able to do that and to maintain it each year.
0: Yes, it was some team, and it was uh, some era. Not, not yet repeated. Danny, thank you so much for joining us and and sharing us uh, both the insights in the agent business and uh, days around. Hopefully, you're able to get back in a long distance flight out to Japan and earning that commission yeah, very, very yeah, I'm
1: soon. Not, I, I'll be honest with you. I'm not missing that flight at all. <laughs> <laughs> I take it three or four times during the year and I don't miss it at all. <laughs> there you go.
0: Last yet, like the one plus of coronavirus. Dan, thanks very much for joining us on the
1: MVP. All right, thanks cast. a lot. Take it off. That's Peace. it for this right.
0: edition. Brought to you with our sponsors, Total Environmental Compliance. Give them a follow on social media at T Compliance Limited. And you can get all our previous editions at MVP247.com or subscribe via your preferred podcast provider. Please do leave us a review on yours preferably a nice one or if you want to reach out to me reach out via Twitter at Mark Gripble another edition of the MVP's cast coming very soon but for me, Mark Woods thanks for listening and bye for now